0: Good morning, beloved brethren, sistren. I'm filling in for Matthew this morning already. (laughs) He started the series last week on um, gospel contentment, and he'll finish that up as we go into the winter break, but he's away this weekend, so... I'm coming back in with um, another lesson on context is key. You know, what does this verse mean by what it says? Um, This is lesson number nine. We could probably do this all year, but uh, this here is lesson nine. And if you want, you can open to the book of Habakkuk. We'll start there. And we'll we'll touch on a couple verses. Probably won't take all that long. Um, but Habakkuk is about five books back from Matthew. Just go backwards five books. <laughs> I think it's about five books. Sorry about that. I'll open in prayer, and then we'll take a look at it, friends. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day morning and the blessing um, that is ours to gather together. I'm um, in your name to share um, in the grace of the gospel and hear the meaning of Scripture. And uh, may you prepare our hearts for worship this day as our brothers and sisters come in throughout the county. Um, Bless them. Bless us this day for the sake of your name. Amen. Uh, Once again, you know, context is key. Um, We're reminded of what the Apostle Paul said to young Timothy, that you must study to show yourselves... Approved, a workman who is not to be ashamed. I'm um, rightly dividing. That means rightly interpreting the word of God. Second 2 Timothy two fifteen. And this is a problem that we're facing today. Uh, the scriptures mishandled. People are not thinking rightly, pastors are not thinking rightly with regard to interpreting the word of God. But he says we're not to be ashamed to mishandle um, the scriptures, Um, one should be ashamed. and We we, we don't want that, that's why um, this series um, is so important. And we remember um, the question of uh, Philip, the evangelist to the Ethiopian eunuch, Right, traveling from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia, when he ran up alongside of his carriage and he was reading from the book of Isaiah, Philip asked, what? Do you understand what you are reading? To which he replied, how can I unless someone explains it? And he gets up in the carriage and he preaches Christ from Isaiah 53. The Lord uses that providentially to save the Ethiopian eunuch, they, they, they see water alongside the road. He gets it down, he's baptized that day. But again, the question was, do you understand? So here, if you look at Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe. If you were told. Now, at first glance, that seems like an amazing promise. You know, um, worthy of of putting on a plaque, putting on a coffee cup, printing on a T-shirt. As a matter of fact, I even served with another pastor. I was in we were both associate pastors. And he cited that verse as he was launching um, a ministry for that particular church. So I saw this heading, this verse on a heading of this ministry plan that he had. And I'm like, brother, do you know what that verse has to do with I said, you, I said, you're a seminary graduate. I mean, what, did you learn how to interpret Scripture? Didn't you learn hermeneutics? And he, moved, he removed it. But it, it seems, you know, appropriate. Is a great promise to be emblazoned, you know, on coffee cups and T-shirts and whatnot. But what is God speaking about in this verse? What should we be utterly amazed about? What great thing is God going to do that, that his hearers will not believe, even if someone told them? Verse 6 gives the answer. Amen? Now, 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 this may sound overly simplistic, but oftentimes all we need to do is keep reading. Read what precedes that particular verse and, and, and continue. Continue. Verse 6 gives the answer. God says, I am raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Now, a people taken into exile, for instance. Judah taken into exile. The secondary cause of exile was Nebuchadnezzar. Primary cause? God. Lord of all. Lord over all. So verse 5 is not a verse of blessing. It is a verse of judgment. And again, this is um, a good reminder to to read verses in their context. And oftentimes that's just a matter of, of Reading on. Now, if you jump forward to Acts, jump to the New Testament, Acts 13. Uh, The Apostle Paul is in Antioch. The Apostle Paul preaches the gospel in Antioch. In verse 30, Okay, notice he's, he's preaching along, and so he gets to Christ crucified in verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son. You are my son. Some people claim, Jews today claim, well, Yahweh never referred to Jesus as his son. Right there. Today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. So he cites the Old Testament twice. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed, take heed to the gospel, take heed to the message, so that... The things spoken in the prophets may not come upon you. Third citation in this short part of his sermon. Behold you scoffers and marvel and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Habakkuk 1, 5. So it had the fulfillment under the old covenant with regard to the Israelites being swept away, carried away in judgment under Babylon. That's the great work I'm about to do. And here in the new covenant, the apostle Paul says, take care that the prophets have said does not happen to you. And then he, quote, he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. And he's talking to a people who know their Bibles, by the way. He talks to people who know their Bible, and he warns them, do not scoff at the message. If you scoff at this message, you better beware, lest what God did to them carries them away into judgment happens to you. So, this verse is about judgment and not about blessing. Amen. There's the connection, a connection. Again, context is key. That's just one example of many to where if you just read on, it explains itself. But people love to take these things and slap them on coffee cups and baseball hats like the Jeremiah 29, 11 verse we looked at a number of weeks ago. All right. Next one, we'll go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. This is another example of the same thing. (laughs) Colossians 2 verse 21. The apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Okay, that verse has been summarized by some as the essence of the Christian life. (laughs) Taught by many as a proof text for not going to movies, for not playing cards, for not drinking a beer. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's used as a principal text of absolute separation for Christians from the world. The Bible says, handle not, taste not, touch not. But as you look carefully at the text again, you, you realize Paul is quoting something or someone. And we've seen this before, have we not? In our study in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul cites in Corinthians these phrases that had become slogans at the Church of Corinth. You know, they they bought into certain philosophies of the world, even Greek mythology, Gnosticism. So these these sayings were formed, these slogans were formed, and I referred to them as kind of um, 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 a bumper sticker kind of theology, first century bumper sticker theology, or carriage sticker theology. They had theirs, we have ours. And here, uh, um, Paul is is quoting something or someone. And the Expositor's Greek New Testament says, and I quote, Christians were running around quoting what the Gnostic pagans were saying. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So by observing or I should say, by by refusing to observe or neglecting to to, to observe the text here being quoted, you miss the fact that Paul was refuting the idea. Again, he was refuting the idea that things in and of themselves are evil. See, Platonic philosophy, Platonistic philosophy said that there was a higher law, about God to which God looked. There was a higher law than God to which God looked. That was the philosophy of the day. So the finite God of Plato was called the Demiurge. Okay, Now, these are things surrounding the church in the first century. The Demiurge, who was limited in knowledge limited in power, and above him was a world of ideas, like a big blueprint of ideas to which this false god looked to. And whatever was evil, the Demiurge said, that's evil, according to the blueprint in the sky, in the sky so to speak. So when this philosophy was made into a religion, that's what Corinthians was facing, Corinthian church. Christians were told, your God would say that this or that is evil because it's evil. You see this? So the reference here, context, has to do with meats and drinks here in Colossae. It has to do with what you eat and in, in what you drink in particular. In some of the Gnostics, right? Gnostic means secret knowledge. The Gnostics were saying that some things were evil and and some things were good in and of themselves. Some food is good, some food is evil. Some drinks are good, some drinks are evil. So ignorant Christians, Colossae would say, well, this this, this is wrong, this has to be wrong because it's wrong. You get it? It's just wrong. And then we adopted that. And then if you grew up around fundamentalism, you say, man, you can't play pool. It's wrong. Well, why? It's just wrong. (laughs) It's just wrong. It's bad because God says it's bad. Is the false teaching. All this is is another form of asceticism. They were dealing with asceticism and that is taking people back to some strange extreme view this is the monk in the cave trying to escape defilement of the world don't touch don't handle right i mean don't even look at it abstinence is the idea from all things pleasurable if it's pleasing it must be evil You know, a lot of people, as I said a couple of weeks ago, they, they think that's what Christianity is. To become a Christian, you just can't do anything fun. J.B. Lightfoot comments, and he said, quote, some of these prohibitions were doubtless reenactments of the Mosaic law, that, that is in Colossae, while others would be exaggerations or additions of a rigorous asceticism, end of quote. That's what Colossae was dealing with, this kind of false teaching. So Paul, again, is just refuting that things in and of themselves were evil. He's refuting that belief. Should we not enjoy the things in life that God has made that he's pronounced as good? Yeah. Now, of course, we we can and we often do take good things and um, use them in bad ways. Evil ways. But wisdom dictates that, that we should not be mastered by anything. That's true. Should not be mastered by anything, yet we are free to enjoy that which God has created. So, this idea that you, you gain you know, spiritual insight or, or secret knowledge, if you will, Gnosticism, by simply avoiding all these things that are good was a lie, and this is what um, Paul um, addresses. So, he's quoting saying of the day. So not only is it false, um, we'll actually miss out on enjoying the good things that, that God has given to us if we apply this as some have. If you grew up, um, anyone grow up in, a, in a f- what we call a, a fundamentalist type of legalistic background? You did a little bit, yeah? Oh yeah, Rob, yeah, I remember you telling me. You did as well, Ray? Yeah, Lists on the wall and things like that. (laughs) So the the Colossians were submitting to regulations, quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. A false teaching, satanic error that had crept into the church, having to do with the idea, if I just get the rules down right, As a matter of fact, if I can make the rules extra narrow, extra strict, if I can really uh, um, turn the screws with regard to this vision and make it more narrow, then I can more easily live for Jesus and not fall into sin. Isn't that awful? That's why Paul argues throughout Colossae, throughout Colossians, to the those in Colossae, um, what you need is Christ and Christ alone. From out of that, we live lives for his glory. So they were adopting all of these rules, these codes, these regulations over and above the commands of God, designed as they were to try to prevent them from falling into sin and keeping on the straight and narrow. Miserable life. So, here, I mean, it should go without saying, I think, that this text should not be used as the principle for the Christian life. Don't taste, don't touch. The right very there. reason they told us we couldn't do these things, there is no value in doing that. Right. That was a that was, that was a wonderful day for me. Amen, brother. <laughs> and for and for those of you who are listening to this recorded, what 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 my brother said was just read on, in verses twenty two and twenty three. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. It's self made religion. Self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. Why? Jesus made it clear. It's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. That's eliminated after a day or two. It's what comes out of a man that defiles a man, and what comes out of a man is in the heart of the man. Therefore, you need Christ and him crucified, raised again the third day. You need righteousness imputed to you. You're not going to earn it by not doing a bunch of stuff. You need the righteous one who stood in the place of sinners, upheld God's law perfectly, and was condemned in the place of many sinners. From out of that, we live our lives victoriously and freely in Christ. Amen? Thank you, Ray. That was fantastic. Okay, uh, one more. I I have a few, but we'll do one more. We'll go to John chapter 12. There's the verse that says, um, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Jesus talks about, we see this throughout Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. 32, 32, thank you. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That verse is another one that's been ripped out of its context. They've actually written songs. You know, lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. See, it would help if I put the right verse down. That's why I couldn't find it. Let's lift him up. Let's lift him high. You heard songs like that? Lift up the name of Jesus. Um, When my kids were in school, I was at a Christian school. Had them in a Christian school, one in particular. I was at a a football game. I think this verse was like um, sewn into the sleeve of their jersey. So I asked the coach, you know, what is this about? And, and, and they would put their hands together in the middle of the circuit before the game, and they'd say a couple words, and they'd say, I'm on the count of three, one, two, three, Jesus! Just like this, right? There's nothing wrong with that you know, in and of itself. But his support for the verse on the jersey was that by lifting up Christ, by exalting Christ, um, our opponents will see Jesus, by which you know they'll be drawn to him like an iron to magnet, to a magnet or something like this. You know, I mean, he didn't say those words, but that's the idea. But the problem is that Jesus was speaking of his crucifixion, not talking about lifting up the name of Jesus. Okay. And all you have to do is read the next verse. Again, I'm trying to make a point here this morning. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. That, that text, has been taken out of context, turned into songs about lifting Jesus higher and higher. But when Jesus spoke about le- being lifted up, he was not talking about glory Here. He's talking about shame. Shame of the cross. Being lifted up on a pole, nailed to it, dying between two thieves as a blasphemer. Turn back to John 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Okay, that meant a snake on a pole in the wilderness, Sinai, lifted up so that people who looked at it, who looked to it, could be saved from being serpent Bitten sinners. Remember part of God's curse? Is that he unleashed a bunch of poisonous snakes to bite the people. To lay there dying. Put this brazen pole up in the air. Hold it up for all to see. And those who look by faith will be spared. It wasn't to praise and lift up the serpent. Lift up the name of the serpent. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross. So, that picture in the Old Testament points forward to Christ. Right? The serpent cursed by God in the garden to which God promised Satan, who who manifested himself by way of that serpent? He said, I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, singular, when he comes, will crush your head. And in the process, his heel will be bruised. How? By being lifted up on a cross. The one who was sinless, who came to bear the curse of sin upon himself, Jesus. to Take the sting out of death for all who believe. So the snake on the pole wasn't, you know, lift up the serpent and praise the serpent. No, the Son of Man would be lifted up on a cross. So it's a picture of judgment. So turn turn to John 8. So Jesus, um, dealing with the self-righteous Sanhedrin. They were saying to him in verse 19, chapter 8, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasure as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not come. Did you catch that? How many times did they try to seize him? Many, but they could not, for it was not yet his hour. In other words, Jesus would die on time. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am Ego Amy, the divine name, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to Him, "Who are you?" Jesus said to them, "What I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. You notice, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You cannot. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father, he was a what? Murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. They go on to say that Jesus has a demon and so on. They talk about, you know, Abraham. Jesus, the Jews said to him in verse 52, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, right? Remember Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> they said, you know, you're not yet 50 years old and you say you've, you, know, you saw Abraham. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, verse 54, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it was glad. So the Jews said, you're not yet 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am again. I am. And therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Because it was not yet his hour, amen? Amen. But it would, his hour would come, and it was for him to be lifted up on the cross. And lifted up meant nailed to a pole. Nailed to a post. Nailed to a tree. For cursed is anyone who is hung upon a tree. According to God's plan, he would be lifted up and crucified. So, again, oftentimes, we just read on in the text most often we'll explain it so. Amen. Then comments questions. Yes, Cody. Uh, yeah, they understood what lifted up man. Well, uh, to us that's fine. In John 12:34, he's not saying. Say I'm say that again. He goes on to say that they understood that. Yes, they understood, right? Yeah, I had a painter at my house, shared the gospel with him, and turns out he goes, I've never heard like that. I thought Christianity was all about what you have to give up. And I was kind of telling what this is what you get. It's not about what you give up. Amen. So it's a great evangelistic tool if we, you know, share the gospel as it should be. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, you know, a lot of folks haven't heard this. I I reminded someone of the gospel last night who's very close to me that I love, dearly. And it showed me how far away you could get, we're going to be reminded of this this morning, how far away you can get from the cross, from the gospel, when you're bombarded with the philosophies of the world. Bombarded. And then when you speak the truth of the gospel, the simple gospel, God is holy, we're sinners. God made man in his image. In his image he made them male and female to dwell upon the earth. He gave them dominion to care for the earth. Dominion over his creation. And they sinned. And God cursed the earth. And the one who tempted them, Satan, God cursed and promised to send one who would destroy him, Satan, and his work. When he came, he would have to be destroyed in order to destroy the destroyer. That is his flesh. So Jesus came to redeem everything that was lost in the first Adam by taking on human flesh, referred to in Scripture as the second Adam, so God could only redeem man by taking on flesh to remove the curse that's in the first Adam by becoming a first a curse is the second Adam that is becoming sin the one who never sinned in order to impute to us his righteousness which is the only way to heaven and it's like the light goes on again because Satan works to deceive even God's people. And as we'll be reminded of today, it's called the deceitfulness of sin, which if you put down your guard, you will become overcome with unbelief and fall away from the living God. So there's the warning and yet the promise, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and we have to hold on to both ends unto the end amen, because he was lifted up, cursed, so that we would not have to bear the curse of hell, amen. So Lord, we do thank you for scripture and its meaning. Help us to be careful, students of the word, to rightly divide, rightly interpret your word for your glory and the good of others, as well as our own souls, for Christ's sake, amen.